Hi everyone, and thanks for listening to Visibility, the monthly podcast produced by CID, the Council for Intellectual Disability. Here, we'll be telling our stories and exploring some of the issues that impact people with intellectual disability. To find out more about our work, visit www.cid.org.au. In the spirit of reconciliation, the Council for Intellectual Disability acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connection to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to the Elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. In this series, we talk to people with intellectual disability about the decisions and choices they make in their lives. Leonie lives and works in regional New South Wales. Today she's going to tell us about living independently, working the job she loves, her relationships and how she's showing other people that with the right support, they can do the same. My name is Raylene Griffiths. I'll be your host today. With me is my co-host, Tom Parker. Thanks, Raylene. Welcome, Leonie, and thanks for joining us to talk about your life. You live in Wagga. Can you tell us a bit about what it's like living there? I like being in Wagga most of the time. I like socialising and going out for food and for my work. Have you lived in Wagga your whole life? I was born at The Rock, which is about a half an hour's drive from Wagga Wagga, and then I've moved into Wagga, stayed there most of the time, and then sometimes I stay out at Juni. My house in Wagga, I've lived in there for nearly 30 years. How does it feel to live independently? It feels really good to live independently on my own. I can do things for myself most of the time. You haven't got people every five minutes telling you what you can do and what you can't do. Did you ask for support to live independently? Who supported you? I think it was my mum. She said she wasn't going to be around forever. I think I was in my 30s and I moved out. Leonie, can you tell us about your childhood and some of your experiences growing up? My childhood wasn't really good. When I was little, uh, I couldn't talk properly, so I was sent away to the far west home in Sydney. That was a bit frightening. How old were you when you were uh, went to the far west home? About four and a half, five. So I would have come back when I was about five and a half, six. And when I went to high school, I just got picked on all the time. I did my school certificate and I got it, but it was a hard time when I was doing my school certificate because my dad had just passed away the week before. That would have been pretty rough. Yeah, it was. So when you were growing up, Leonie, were you able to make your own decisions or were other people making decisions for you? Other people were making them for me, and like even learning how to cook. I was told by my brothers and sisters that my mum made everything all my decisions for me. Kind of baby in me wouldn't let me have a go. And that's why I, um, till I started working, I used, used to use the word dumb. So that's how you felt about yourself, did you? Or is that what other people sort of told you? Yeah, they told me I was dumb and then that's had stuck in my head ever since. How big's your family? I did have a real brother and a real sister and then I had two half-sisters. Were your brothers and sisters supportive? When I got older, they were. When my mum was gone, um, they were more supportive. 
So what did you dream of doing when you left school, Leonie? I was hoping to um, work with kids. I love kids. So what kind of work did you do? Um, I did cafe work for a while and um, then I did a nanny at Melbourne and also worked at a preschool and work as a volunteer. Did anyone support you to help you find work? I think it could have been my mum and then I went around looking for a bit myself. What was your favourite of all of these jobs, Leonie? Looking after the kids at the preschool. But then they said, no, I couldn't get a job there. They said I could only be a volunteer because I think they picked it up that I had a disability. How long did you work there for? About two or three years. When did you decide to stop volunteering there? After they kind of told me that I would never get a paid job there. And how did that make you feel? Yeah, I thought it was unfair that they should have gave me a go. And then after that, I just did volunteer work at a daycare centre with elderly and the disabled. So, Leonie, you looked in the newspaper and found a job for a nanny. You applied and were offered a job with a family in Melbourne. That was a pretty brave thing to do for a young woman from a small town. Can you tell us uh, what your experience was like? Um, it was a bit frightening because my mum had to take me on the train and it was just an eye-opener because I was working for a lawyer. But the kids are good, two little boys. What did that job involve? Um, cleaning the house setting the tables, making sure the kids had a meal, changing their nappies, giving them food and entertaining them. And how long were you down there for? Not quite 12 months. And then they said I wasn't fit for the job because of a couple of things that happened while I was looking after the kids. They went away once and I couldn't get the gas stove, the light. It kept going out. I had to go and ask the neighbour what to do. And then one of the boys got diarrhoea and I couldn't keep up with the nappies so I had to go and ask the neighbours next door again what do I do I'm running out of nappies and they said haven't you been in this job very long and I said no. What did you do uh, once you finished that job? Come back home to my mum to have found something else. You now have a partner Lynn. how did you two meet? At TAFE doing literacy and numeracy and sewing we made our own clothes after a few dates of what oh, he's what I want. What do you two like to do together? We like to go out and have meals with people without a disability and people with a disability and we like going for trips in the car and we like playing temping bowling. In what ways does Len support you? Len supports me like getting me to work. It takes me to medical appointments and sits in to see what the doctor says takes me shopping, helps me support the shopping, except he doesn't like going bargain hunting. Doesn't like bargain hunting, but he likes expensive things, does he? Yes, and he doesn't like shopping for dolls. Now, you've got quite an extensive doll collection, I hear, Leonie. Yes, over 200. How are some of the ways that you support Len? Waking him up in the morning, helping him uh, use his computer, helping him with medical appointments. Uh, you also wanted to have children of your own. What did the doctors say to you? That was a, a risky decision because it could turn out like me with an intellectual disability or I could die while I was having it or it could turn out like my partner. So does your partner also have an intellectual disability? Yes. I decided I don't want to risk my life and I don't want to risk the baby's life. 
I felt relief, but I was pretty sad. And who supported you to make that decision? Lynn's mum was alive and also I think my sister was. What sort of age were you when you were going through that process? In my middle 30s. And had you just recently met Len or had you been with Len for a little while? I've been with Len for a long time before that. I see though that you you know, you know, hang out with your nieces and nephews quite often. Does that bring you joy? Yeah, they do. Every time they see us down the street, can we come? Can we come? We love you, Annie Leone and Uncle Lenny. Can we come? Thanks, Leone, for sharing your story with us. We'll now take a short break before returning to hear more of Leonie's experience as a woman with an intellectual disability living independently. You're listening to Visibility, the podcast produced by the Council for Intellectual Disability. If you're enjoying this episode, you can support us by reviewing us through Apple, Podchaser or your favourite listening app. Welcome back, everyone. But you also have a support circle of friends, family and support workers. Um, the support workers are really top. They let us make our own decisions, but we cook and if you can't think of something, they give us an idea what we could have. So they only assist us. we got two favourite ones. What makes them such great support workers? Well, they listen to you. They don't boss you around. They they only help us um, if you can't think of something yourself. So there's a sort of a genuine support there yeah. um, and trust? And trust. So how recently did you start getting paid support? Since NDIS came in. So before the NDIS came in, how did you sort of survive? Who were you asking for support? Just lived on my pension and got in the debt. Like I earned money to shop. I just used to waste it. It was hard. I was asking my family. And at that stage, I had a, a lovely art teacher. I'd be ringing up and say, I need your support. How do I cook this? What do I do now? Say if they didn't pick up the phone, what would you do? Bring the next person in line. It might be 10 phone calls. I try my auntie across the paddy. I try my niece who's got the kids out at the rock. I just keep ringing the ring until I found someone to say, hey, how do I do this? I'm stuck. How does it make you feel that, you know, you sort of, felt the need to constantly ask people for support in those areas. It felt bad as if I, I was silly and didn't know what to do. And then now that you have got those supports in place, what does that look like now? It looks a lot better. I'm not in debt anymore because I had family tell me to set up um, payments to come out of my Centrelink payment. No, I just don't miss it. You know, I'll gain more confidence at lighting the stove and not walking away leaving it. They let me cut the food on, but they can pick out sometimes if I'm not on track, if I'm having a bad day or I'm a bit tired, they'd say, oh, would it be safer for me to finish the cutting for you? Have you ever had something that you would call sort of bad support? One staff member wouldn't let me food prep. That's because I had an incident with a knife once. I was opening packets with a knife instead of a pair of scissors. And I cut my finger and it bled. She said, oh, I don't like blood. I better put a Band-Aid on. I better ring your boyfriend to come back. You better take her out to the hospital for stitches. It was a big ordeal. All they said, doesn't need stitching, love. It needs just a wash and a Band-Aid. Off you go. And did you work with that support worker again after that? For a little while. And then another bad support worker came in and she said, oh, no, 
you just watch. I won't let you do anything. And I said, well, how am I going to learn? I said to her, I feel really bad. I want to have another go. I rang up the boss and said, I'm not happy with the support worker. She wouldn't give me a, a go. And um, she wasn't really supportive. Um, she just wanted to prepare the meal herself or just read books. Or this girl that I got rid of, it was her and another lady and the other lady that I still got. So when you were younger, Leonie, did you feel you had that same confidence to be able to make those decisions? No, I didn't. When I was younger, I didn't have much confidence to make decisions for myself. So when did it click for you that, hang on, I do have these rights? As I got older and moved out, started getting um, support. What are some examples of good support you have had? That junior medical, you can't be happier. Because they're willing to listen to you. If I need to fill out forms, say, try and pick time in. And then if you want to know results, they'll either show you on a picture on the screen or they draw a picture and um, explain it to you. And if you don't understand it, I say, can you use plain English, not big words? They take an interest and they say, oh, what's the problem today? And then they say, you got any more issues? And they just sit there and to finish all your things that you want to say to them. And do you see there's being a big difference to sort of what you find in the hospitals? A big difference. I've had bad support at the Wagga Hospital, filling out forms. They say, can't you do it yourself? And I say, no, I've got intellectual disability. And they said, oh, can't you find someone? And I said, no, this is your job. You should be doing it for me. And I feel really put down. Now you're using all your life experiences to create training that helps other people learn new skills. How does that feel for you? It feels really good to me that I've learned a lot of skills and I can help my um, friends. They can stick up for their rights. Like sometimes one particular girl wants a certain meal and the carer says, no, you have to have this. It should be that young girl's decision. One group home we, we see nearly every fortnight, I was told by our support worker, that they let the guys try and make their own decisions. But in one of the other homes I was going to before COVID, clients weren't really getting much choice. If the resident can make decisions, the staff should be letting them do it. So you work with us at the Council for Intellectual Disability and you have co-facilitated training for supported decision-making. What sort of skills do you teach people? You can speak up for yourself and everyone's got rights. It's your choice. Give it a try. Try and give them enough information as possible. And what are some of the barriers that support workers have been talking about? Um, restrictive practice, communication, financial. So there's lots of different barriers that are you know in place that hamper decision-making in general? Mm -hmm, there is. Because a person might be non-verbal and you have to work out a way you could communicate to them. Because not everyone can use sign language. And if you can sign, that's a good advantage. Are you able to sign? Yes. Have you learned some new skills yourself, Leonie? Learning how to speak on, learning how to use a computer, learning how to text messages. The work that you're doing now, is that something that you saw yourself doing when you were younger? No, I didn't think I would ever be in an office. What's your favourite thing about working at CID? The money and the different 
stars and their characters. So why does why is the money such a big thing? Because you have to have money to live on. And where I was working before, I was pretty poor. So whilst you're working at an ADE, the money wasn't so great? No, like $6 an hour. Can you explain what an ADE is, Leonie? It's an Australian Disability Enterprise. Yeah, I think that's correct. And what sort of work do they do there? It's industrial workshop. We work out recycling. When I first started there, I used to sort the rubbish, which was pretty gross. And then I started in the security building. They sort coloured paper from white paper and squashing dirty old milk bottles. How long did you work in an ADE for? It's coming up to 20 years. Yeah, when did you sort of hear about mainstream employment or open employment? Um, They talked about it at the ADE and they said anyone that thought they were confident to go out, they could try a job. I thought, oh, well, I might as well go and have a go in open employment and see if I liked it and I like it. So how long have you been in open employment now? Um, nearly four and a half years. What do your family members say to you now when they see you achieving all these goals? They said, um, we're really surprised, Leonie, how far you've come in life now. What do you wish you had known when you were younger? That I, I could have had the confidence and if I had the skills, I would have been a much happier person. What advice do you have for other people with disability who want to live independently? If they want to try and go independently there's no real saying they can't do it they could listen to more training and more support from their support workers they could go and talk to the NDIS the advice I give them if they want to have a go let them have a go thanks Leonie for sharing your story today Mm -hmm. thank you and for everyone listening thank you as well join us next month when we'll share more stories from people with intellectual disability around the decisions and choices they make in their lives. You're listening to Visibility, the podcast produced by the Council for Intellectual Disability. If you're enjoying this episode, you can support us by reviewing us through Apple, Podchaser or your favourite listening app.